welcome to the Stay Loyal Podcast, where we seek to find objective truths about specific topics with experts in those fields. In this episode, I will be talking to Guy Hammond, who is a well-renowned speaker among the International Churches of Christ. He shares his story on living an openly gay life up until he found freedom in Christ in 1987. He has been a Christian for over three decades and has been married to his wife for 24 years before she passed away a couple years ago. He is a best-selling author, counselor, executive director of Strength and Weaknesses Ministries, which, edu- which educates parents of openly gay and transgender children. We also discuss forgiveness, sin, and free will. His documentary, Finding Guy, is available on YouTube, and a link to it is in the description below. Thanks for listening. So how you been? Yeah, you know, truthfully, um, like everybody else, I have my... Uh my problems and issues, but, um, you know, honestly, I'm too blessed to stress some things are really good. How about you? I'm doing really well. So I just had my, uh, my first child, uh, four months ago. So I just been busy doing that. So nice. Wow. Congratulations. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, baby taking care of the baby has been, been something that has been very new to me. Honestly, I was the, uh, the last born. So I had no, experience handling newborns or little kids most of my life so this is a big step in uh in care i would say yeah Yeah. so um so the way i got to know you was i mean obviously you are kind of like a celebrity in the group of churches that we attend and um, my dad has read read your books and i mean i got to know you a little bit more through my brother steve yeah so that has been um that has been interesting and so as of now, are you, are you employed with the ICLC church? Is that what's going on? No, I, I just run my ministry. Uh, you know, I'm, um, I'm not employed by any one particular church. I just, okay. uh, I was leading a church in Canada until 2012. And then sure. in 2012, I stopped doing that so I could do strength and weakness full time. And so I just live on donations and uh, churches who send money support me uh and i live in the toronto area wow so basically this has not, no affiliation with the uh, icoc church at all yeah my only affiliation is with the icoc is you know relationally i've got obviously a lot of friends there and whatnot and there are some churches in the icoc that support me but uh i don't i don't work for any particular icoc church in fact our ministry now is helping people in all different denominations. Uh, so yeah, I even got some people on my staff now who help me run the ministry or who aren't even a part of the ICOC. So we're not, we are not ICOC centric. We're just here to help anybody who is a Jesus believer, uh, who either has a gay child or who is dealing with same sex attraction issues or transgender issues. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So um, in terms of the, uh, the ministry that you're doing right now, you said it uh, deals with parents who have kids that are homosexual and have transgender issues. Is that correct? Yeah, we help Christians who live with unwanted same-sex attractions, okay. uh, people who used to be gay and they've now come into the church and they want to live successfully for Jesus. We have support groups for them. Uh, and then we help parents who have a gay child uh, or a child who's dealing with transgender issues. And um, we're doing that in three languages, in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And we have uh, 14 different support groups going on, and we're helping people in over 80 countries around the world. Wow. 
That's incredible. So for example, if uh, someone came to your facility and you know says, hey, I'm struggling with same-sex same attraction, what would be the first, um, what would you do in that first step? What would the first step be? If somebody contacted us and said, hey, I'm dealing with same-sex attraction issues, I want help, you're asking what would our first step be? Correct. Hey, welcome to the party. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, I think, you know, for somebody to reach out and recognize that they could use some assistance, I think takes a lot of courage. So we would really applaud them for having the faith and the courage to even reach out to us. And then we would just want to make them feel welcomed and loved, help them understand that their value and worth to God isn't based on what they're attracted to. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be heterosexually attracted to be a Christian. Uh, I don't think God cares what we're attracted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we all have different attractions, leanings, whatnot. I don't think God really cares, quite honestly. I think what he wants us to do is just do our best, the best we can to be uh, in submission to him and to strive to live holy lives. And everybody has to submit their sexuality to Jesus. So it doesn't matter what you're attracted to do for that. So, I mean, we would just want to make sure they feel loved and welcomed. And then we would let them know of the different tools that we have as a ministry to be able to offer them help and assistance and help them know they can do this. They can live successfully for Jesus, even though they are same-sex attracted or dealing with transgender feelings. So when it comes to each, I guess you would call it client or patient, I don't know what you call it, but um, do you have a, do you have something scripted out where you go through a certain process uh, talking, to, talking, to them, talking to them about uh, homosexuality or transgenderism or do you go individual uh, basis? Yeah, it really is individual. Um, I have a support staff of 12 people uh, helping me uh, run the ministry. So I, I personally am not really in the into the day-to-day operations. I'm more, I write the books, I do the public speaking, I do this kind of thing. I have a volunteer staff of people helping me do everything else, run all the support groups and communicate with people. Um, but they're all trained to really be able to help people on an individual basis. So when somebody joins, I mean, uh, if they're if they're looking for some help individually, we're there for that. Uh, but then, of course, you know, there's a part of the ministry that, you know, we offer Bible studies and, and devotionals and, and quiet times, that kind of thing. And then we also run our support groups where people can pick and choose about, you know, what support groups they would like to join. And even those are divided up based on individual needs. So I think we've worked hard to really try to create something where we can uh, really communicate one on one with people if they want that. But also we've got a whole other tools in our toolbox to really be able to help them that really is just there for everybody. And so the people that are helping out with your organization, do they are they credentialed psychologists, therapists, or are they somebody that just has a heart that wants to help out? Yes and yes. Okay. Uh, really, um, my staff is all made up of same-sex attracted Christians wow. or parents of gay kids. Amazing. And uh, they've all gone through a very rigorous um uh, vetting process to be able to uh, work with my ministry. Um, and it just so happens that of the 12 people I have who are working for my ministry, two of them are professional counselors and therapists. And uh, one of them actually, uh, oh, and then I've got one woman who's on my board of directors who is a world-renowned sex therapist, family therapist. Uh, she's in San Diego, California. She's written several books. She's in the secular world, uh, highly sought after, uh, truly an expert 
on such matters and she's on my board. So we use her quite a bit. And then um, the other two people who are professional counselors and therapists on, our, on my staff, we use them a lot as well from that capacity. Um, but uh, other than that, everybody else is just, you know, good hearted Christians who want to help people, but they're same sex attracted or, um, or parents of, of gay kids. So when it comes to, uh, so before I go ahead, uh, you did the documentary that's on YouTube. I want to say that's that was phenomenal. I really loved all three parts of it. And the uh, production team and everything was just phenomenal. It was great. Thanks for uploading that and allowing everybody to see your life um, and from a personal perspective. And that was just awesome. When How did you guys come to, um, whose plan was it to make a documentary about your life? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't my plan. I had never imagined that anybody would want to make a, a movie about my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was when it was first uh, offered to me, it sounded really uh, almost absurd. I couldn't imagine anybody wanting to watch a movie about my life. Um, I had been speaking at a uh, conference in Texas and uh, during one of the breaks, uh, a gentleman came up to me and explained to me that Uh, He had just graduated uh, with a master's degree in documentary filmmaking and he was looking for a subject to make his his first movie. And so he wanted to know would I be interested in him making a movie about my life because, you know, there's some parts of it that are somewhat compelling. And anyway, you know, my, my wife Kathy and I talked it over. I talked about it with my kids. I wanted to make sure everybody was on board. Uh, If anybody in my family family didn't feel good about it. We were going to cancel it right away. But, sure. you know, my wife and all four of my children were like, hey, dad, go for it, man. Like, sure, why not? So uh, it took about five years to make the movie, actually. It was wow. in production for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, I think a real special thing about the movie Finding Guy that we could not have possibly understood when we started the process is that during the filming of the movie, my, my wife, Kathy, was diagnosed with stage four brain cancer and uh, actually died my wife passed away just as um just as the movie was coming to completion Mm -hmm. and um so it was decided to actually make that a part of the movie since that was obviously such a big part of my story but i think you know with the gift of 2020 hindsight as i look back now i feel like you know that was just a real gift from god because my wife who was i was with for 28 years and was such a big part of the ministry uh, even though she is now gone, uh, her story, her message, and how she feels about the issue continues to live on through the movie. So I, I feel really grateful for that. But the movie's been a, a real blessing. You know, it's um, been seen by, uh, it was first seen through a period of, over a period of years in churches all around the world. So probably about 100,000 people got to watch the movie that way. And now it's just available on YouTube. So, I mean, I've definitely seen a lot of views on that documentary for sure. And uh, just to talk about the current state of Canada, um, I know it is a big hotspot for um, for a lot of LGBTQ parades, you know, and I mean, in terms of Canada being such a liberal country, I think people have the freedom to want to do what they want to do, um, just like the United States. Uh, it is... It is a free country where you can express yourself, you can talk about your sexuality, you can express uh, your ideologies if you're Christian or non-Christian. Um, so in that light, how do you, as uh, somebody who you know 
who's done pastoral work or that spoke around the world, how do you engage in some with somebody to talk to them about um, about being a part of a culture like Canada where it is so liberal? And how do you explain to them that, yes, as, uh, although you do have all these freedoms, that not all freedoms are beneficial in some ways? Well, you know, you're right. We do live in a very secular society here in Canada. And um, we actually have a, a federal government that has just recently passed one of the most uh, strictest um, laws on uh, on what's called conversion therapy, uh, which is something, by the way, I'm I think is abhorrent. I'm not a fan of conversion therapy at any at any level. Um, and um, you know, I guess I'd like to say I, I actually acknowledge the rights of gay, lesbian, and transgender people to live however they want. I don't I don't think it's my business. I like the fact that I live in a free country and people are free to choose how they want to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a Christian, of course, uh, you know, I live by and strive to teach what I understand the traditional biblical sexual ethic, the traditional biblical sexual ethic to be. And with that certainly comes some uh, boundaries, guardrails, and restrictions uh, as people who want to follow Jesus uh, need to submit to. But, you know, God is such a gentleman. He doesn't force anybody to do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly God respects the right of everybody to choose how they want to live. And I think Christians need to offer the same right as well. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, we also live in a day and age when it seems like a lot of times that respect to live, let people live however they want only seems to go one way. Yep. Uh, and where people demand that I respect their right to live however they want, mm-hmm. to say what they want, do what they want. But uh, those very same people who expect and demand those rights are often not willing to offer me the same rights. And because I choose to live a different life and teach a different ethic, uh, I easily can be branded a whole wealth of different things like bigot and homophobe. And yeah, the list you're the enemy of the on. state, right? You're the enemy of the state. And... Yeah, but do I not have the same rights as everybody else to, to live how I want, right? So I think the thing to remember is, is that Again, God is a gentleman. He doesn't force anybody to do anything. So if you want to follow Jesus and be a Christian, that's a completely voluntary thing. Uh, I'm not, my ministry, my organization, Strength and Weakness, is not evangelistic in nature where we're like trying to go out and find gay people and yank them Mm -hmm. into the church. That's Mm -hmm. not what my organization is about. Um, We are simply striving to offer help and support to same-sex attracted people who of their own volition People who voluntarily are saying, listen, I don't think homosexuality is compatible with uh, my faith and I need some help and and perspective to know how to uh, live with this successfully. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, oh, we're there to help you then. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous are there to help people who have trouble drinking. Well, they don't go into the bars trying to yank people out of the bar to get them to stop drinking. No, it's just an organization that's there. If you feel like you want to get some assistance, great. You know where Alcoholics Anonymous is. You can go get some assistance. But 
they're not evangelistic in nature trying to you know get people out of the bar and into their meetings that's how it is with my organization you, you want to be gay you want to get married to somebody of the same gender whatever live your life like it's not my business if you want to have a honest conversation about what the bible teaches and you're really willing to dialogue let's let's do that but outside of that do what you want i don't care um but if you do want some help and assistance then um yes we're there to help so I definitely, in my, from my perspective, I definitely believe like that is an amazing way. And in my perspective, the best way to uh, engage with people that are same-sex attractive, because nobody, especially in a free country, wants to be told what to do. And, right. And, and I've seen a lot of um, pastors on YouTube um, you know, that go on the streets, like Pastor David Lynn. He's a great guy. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, Pastor David Lynn, but he's a evangelical pastor that goes all around Canada and just you know stands in uh, in downtown cities and just talks about uh, God. But at the same time, he is pretty yeah. aggressive about uh, homosexuality. And what do you think of somebody that wants to go in that route? Do you think it's as effective as somebody that is, you know, has an open arm and wants to bring people into? uh into the kingdom because i believe both both you and pastor david lynn have you know good intentions but the methods are different like why do you think that that approach do you uh, first of all do you believe that approach is effective um yeah i've i've seen his videos i'm certainly very familiar with with his work i mean i've never met the man but i've certainly seen seen his stuff on youtube and whatnot um it's certainly courageous, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to be able to do that. I don't know how effective it is. Um, you know, it depends on what your definition of effective is. Like, if your definition is how many people are you bringing into the church and helping uh, change how they live uh, so that they're submitting their sexuality to Christ and now uh, living for Jesus and becoming Christians, I don't know how many people... Uh, are doing that 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 he would meet through the strategies that he uses for personal evangelism but if your definition of effectiveness is is that he's getting the word out and he's uh talking to a community of people to help ensure that um they understand what the bible teaches he certainly is being effective there he's certainly reaching an awful lot of people like on youtube and whatnot um it's a strategy i've decided not to follow uh Again, my ministry is not evangelistic in nature. I mean, I, I started the ministry like I'm same-sex attracted. I, I used to live a gay life. I lived a gay life until I was 24 years old. Mm -hmm. I had a boyfriend for 10 years. Uh, by the time I was 24, I had had sex hundreds of times with different guys mm -hmm. and uh, knew that I wanted help. And so decided of my own volition and own free will that I wanted to seek spiritual guidance and help through a church that I found. And, you know, that really transformed my life for the better. And so uh, I clearly understand the unique nuances and difficulties that same-sex attracted Christians face. And so I started my organization with the longing and desire to offer them support and help. Mm -hmm. And uh, so again, my, my mission isn't even evangelistic in nature in the sense that we're trying to get gay people to come into the church. Uh, I do teach workshops in different churches around the world, educating Christians on 
uh, this issue and sharing with them, I think, helpful strategies so that in their own private world, they will have the bridge building language they need to share the good news of Jesus with their gay friends and neighbors at work, at school, in their community, with uh, even family members. So I want to educate Christians on how to share, yeah, who Jesus is to uh, people who are in their lives. Uh, but really, mo mostly my ministry is just about helping people who already are Christians and are striving to live faithfully for Jesus and just need some tools to, to know how to do that. Oh. So that, that's, that's an amazing uh, statement there. Uh, I, I do want to go um, to dive a little bit deeper into your, your documentary you did um, last year, or I guess when it got released last year. So in cup in cup in the first in the first episode, it talked a lot about your upbringing with your parents, and uh, also for anybody listening, I'll have the link to his documentary in the link below. So your relationship with your parents, um, it seemed like it was pretty dysfunctional, um, at least in the beginning stages. And from from when the documentary ended, you did say that they stayed married for a very long time. Um, until they pa passed away. So looking back at your relationship with your parents, where did you, I guess the question would be like, where did you think that there were downfalls? What what parts of your relationship with them were negative? <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many. Honestly, um, I, 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 I wanna tr talk about my parents with a little bit of grace because with the gift of 2020 hindsight and having raised four children now myself, I know that that's probably got to be one of the toughest jobs going, which by the way, it's a fraternity that you've now entered by yep. having your own child. <laughs> this is not, they don't pay enough for this job, man. Raising kids is tough. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, my parents made so many mistakes and um, it was such a betrayal because if you see the movie Finding Guy, you'll see that, you know, my father was a minister or a pastor of a small church and grew up in a home that taught about Jesus. And, you know, uh, on the outside, we tried to act like this per perfect, you know, little Christian family. But behind the scenes where nobody else goes, there was so much chaos, fighting, uh adultery, suicide attempts. I mean, it's just, uh, it was a, a little house of horrors, quite honestly. It was a, uh, a terrible way to grow up. And it went on for almost 15 years and no doubt left its scars on my life. So I've certainly, you know, forgiven my parents um, and was able to verbalize that, not to my father, but to my mother before she passed. But um you know, I think some of the lessons I got from that was that that is not who I want to be. And one of the things that I was so determined to make sure that was going to be different in my life and in my, in my family's life was that we would not hide what we're struggling with. I think it's one of the biggest challenges my parents had. We lived in a church culture that said that uh, you weren't allowed to struggle. You weren't allowed to uh, struggle in your faith. You weren't allowed to be a sinner. You know, you had to look perfect all the time. And so my parents had to create this picture that everything was great all the time, but that's not practical. That's not real. Whose life is like that? And, and so when they did get into trouble, when there was adultery, when there was problems in the home, they did, they had nowhere to go, nobody to talk to, 
nobody to bring that into the light with because they lived in this culture that said that's not allowed. So I know for me, what I learned from that was that, yeah, I don't want to live that way. I want to live a life that is transparent, that is authentic, that is real, where I will bring things into the light. And that if Guy Hammond isn't doing well, there's going to be somebody who knows about it. If Guy Hammond is struggling with a certain area of temptation or, or um, you know, area of weakness, then there's going to be somebody who knows. Uh, so I've surrounded myself with a few trusted spiritual advisors, men and women that I feel safe with, who would respect my need for privacy and confidentiality and believe the very best about me even when I'm at my worst. And I use those people all the time to keep bringing stuff into the light because I don't want to fall into the trap that my family did, which I think was uh, a killer for our family. And um, so I think that was probably one of the biggest things I got out of being raised the way I was that helped me change, try to change that so that I myself wasn't going to fall prey to this idea that you got to look perfect, act per perfect. You call yourself a Christian, that must mean there's nothing ever wrong in your life. That's ridiculous. That's just garbage. So I now, I'm going to be real. You know, I'm a mess. Uh, you know, I, I struggle all the time. I've got weaknesses and areas of struggle all over the place. I'm not doing any of this perfectly. I am doing it faithfully though. Uh, I am trying to live smart. I am trying to live my life carefully, but you know, I'm certainly not doing this perf I'm doing it perfectly at, at, at any degree. So you did talk about the specific word forgiveness, which is something that I've, I've definitely spoken to a lot of people uh, for the past year and a half. Um, I've had my own conversion, you would say. I was baptized into the ICOC church when I was 15 years old. And ever since then, uh, my life, you know, I went through the whole ICOC culture, you know, the campus ministries and whatnot. So I went through that whole journey, but then there was something in my life that felt like it was missing. And I mean, I don't blame anybody for that, but it was my own um, lack of understanding uh, that I personally did not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So that was something that I didn't know that I did not have. So at one point, probably like 2017, 18, I decided to like, hey, I'm done with Christianity. I don't want to do anything with this. Um, I'm just going to do my own thing and not feel bad about it. Because every time I would, you know, quote unquote, sin, um, I would feel horrible about myself. I would just, you know, go into hiding and not want to talk to anybody about it. But when I was, you know, doing well and I was not sinning or doing whatever, I would come out and be all happy. So it just felt like I was living a double life. And, and I always felt like, hey, nothing really changed other than the fact that, like, I just felt worse about what I did, you know, as a Christian. So I, one day, I had a life and, like, you know, near-death experience um, where I, I, was at, I was at a club and I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends. And then I was at, I was at the bar where people were getting drinks and I was talking to this girl and we were, you know, we were hitting it off for a while. And then, you know, she, she wanted to dance and I was like, okay, but like five minutes into dancing, I, I felt nauseous. I felt like my body was going numb. So I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go find my friends. And then I couldn't find my friends for some reason because my head was spinning. So, so I left the bar and I was, I, I only had one drink, right? So I'm 
at that point I was drinking a lot. So I didn't know my tolerance. So I, I did not drink enough to like pass out, but I was walking outside the club and I found a park bench nearby. I, I you know, stumbled towards it and I sat on it. And then in a minute or so, I couldn't, I couldn't move. And I was, I only my eyes were able to move my body whole my whole body went numb and I was going in and out of consciousness. And I, I, there was something in my system that my body wanted to like get out. So I was trying to heave and vomit, but nothing really came out. And then there was two guys feeding the homeless. You know, they were going around giving meals to the homeless people. And they found me, found me on this park bench, you know, all well, nicely dressed, well-dressed. And they were like, Hey, what's, what's going on? You know, where are, are you okay? And I, I couldn't speak. I was just mumbling. Um, and then they took my wallet out of my pocket, you know, they found my address um, and they pretty much went and um, they took me in, they put me in their car and then drove me all the way to my house. And this was 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and, and they pretty much knocked on my door, left me in front of the door, and then they just left. So that was one of my near death, near death experiences. And, um, and it was horrible. The second one, um, was I was driving, um, uh, I, w- I was driving to go home and I was making a left. This is when I was deciding, Hey man, do I even really want to be a Christian? And I mean, ever since that drug incident happened, I was, you know, I was questioning what my life was about and, you know, if I really wanted to continue being a Christian or if I just wanted to completely leave, um, everything, um, you know, in terms of Christianity. So when I, when I, I was on a left turn lane and the, the, I was, I was the first car on the left turn lane. And then it went from red to green. So I took the left turn and I was in the middle of the intersection. And then a car came like 70, 80 miles an hour, hit the back end of my car, surprisingly, because I, I saw the car on a last minute turn, but if it did not turn, it would have hit me right in the passenger side or not right on the driver's side. And I could have totally died, but it hit me right at the back of the car right next to the trunk. And then it just made my car spin multiple times. And then when I, when I got out of the car, all I could do was just laugh. I was laughing. I was hysterical. I was like, oh man, I was literally thinking about completely leaving God and like, you know, rejecting him as a whole. And then when that happened, that was the first time I ever understood what grace was because I mean, I don't mean to crap on like the church I was raised in, but that's not something that I was necessarily taught. I was taught to be perfect. You know, I grew up in a pastoral household like you did. So I was taught to be perfect, act perfect. And nothing ever, nothing ever came off that. So it was that, that incident really taught me about how, how, how much God loves me, you know, how much God wants to show me grace. And that, that from then, I really started praying. I really started observing and I was sitting at my dining table, you know, I was in my last year of school. So I was you know, doing my final paper and I just felt this voice saying, Hey, you don't have a relationship with the Holy spirit. That's why you're suffering so much. You don't have a relationship with something that I've given you. And then it was almost like an instant flip of a switch. I was like, this is all I needed to do. And ever since then, I've been, I don't know, every time I pray, 
I would try to connect with something inside me rather than just going to grab for a Bible or trying to grab like a sermon or whatever. I would just try to meditate and go within and reach the source where all truth comes from. So ever since I've been doing that, that has just really opened my eyes to a lot of who Jesus is as a person. I've read the Bible back to front so many times. I knew I know every story. I know every parable. I know every miracle, but I just never really understood it from a perspective that I needed to. And ever since then, my, I believe that I was born of the spirit. You know, it, it's theoretically the church that you and I have been, you know, accustomed to it's when you get baptized, you know, that's when you receive the Holy spirit and yada, 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 yada. Right. But my experience came, my, my, my real true born again experience came from my relationship with the Holy spirit. And that's when I felt like I was born again as a person. And like I said, ever since then, the way I look at people, the way I look at, um, you know, people struggling with different things and in a, in a broader light, rather than, you know, if somebody lives a you know, weird, like weird lifestyle or transgender lifestyle, homosexual lifestyle, like, oh, you're, you're going to burn in hell or you're going to suffer. You're going to do all, you know, you're not going to make it. But now I just see it all about as long as you can connect with what's within you, you can transform your life for yourself. Like, I don't have to fix you. I don't have to change you. I don't have to hmm. um, make you believe. But if I can show you the truth that lives within you, whatever, whatever that truth makes of you, that's what's going to happen. But I believe that truth that lives within you is, is so important and so pristine. And, and I think a lot of people have forgotten to point people back to the truth rather than just showing them the bible or showing them this and showing them that so i mean that's a little bit of my story when it comes to uh understanding grace and going back going back to my original point about forgiveness that when i when i when i realized that the main source of my anger the main source of source of my disappointment frustration and judgmental attitude was my anger towards my parents so i had this um i had this tendency to hold resentment towards people but then when i realized that like if i went and forgave my parents the root source of my anger then i would be able to be relieved from anger in its in its in its self so when i went and forgave my parents um i mean especially when i forgave my mother it just, it allowed me to be free as a person. It allowed me to um, not hold resentment, not have anger. I was able to overcome anger as a person. And that has just benefited my life so much. So when you said forgiveness, forgiving your parents, that just like, you know, sparked a big light in my head. Um, and what has forgiving your parents done for you personally? Well, first of all, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. That's quite a dramatic story. They should make yeah. a movie about your life. Forget me. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think I needed to um, forgive a lot of people or several people. I needed to forgive my mother. I needed to forgive my father. I needed to forgive. I was sexually molested by a man when I was uh, eight years old. I needed to, uh, after molesting me, he, he threatened me and, told me to never tell anyone and I didn't speak about it until I was 35. So that was something that 
was kept hidden for a lot of years. So I needed to get to a place of forgiving him. So was this somebody that somebody trusted? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a relative. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I certainly reaching a place of forgiveness. Yeah. There's different, there's almost different, um, different levels for me in this. Like I think with my parents, I certainly look back with like a sense of, uh, I want to say regret. I don't know if regret's the right word, but like, wow, oh my gosh. Um, I do forgive you. I do. But what were you thinking? Like, mm-hmm. What made you think that that was okay? Do you have any idea the damage you caused? But I get it. And I, I love you. And, and I don't want to be mad. I don't want to be angry. I, I, um, and so I, I've let go of that. And, you know, I, I love my parents. And so, but then there's the man who, you know, sexually molested me. And what do I do with that? Like, how do I forgive him? So there are people that, uh, did, did, um, you know, hurt me in a lot of ways in my life that would not be safe for me to re-engage with just because I feel like it would almost be like self-sabotage. And so for those people, you know, I think for me, this is what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means that if, uh, if, first of all, I'm going to pray for every success. Uh, I, I long for and pray for that your soul is saved and that you'll be with the Lord someday for eternity. Uh, if you're ever in trouble and I can help you, I will. Uh, and I'm never going to gossip or slander about you. And if I ever see you face to face, then I will always be kind and respectful. To me, that for the people who have hurt me the most, that's what forgiveness is. Uh, it's got to be more than just a ooey-gooey feeling. Like there's some people who have hurt me so badly, like the man who, who raped me when I was eight years old, that, you know, it's got to be more than okay, I forgive him in my heart. No, it's got to it's got to um, be more than that. So for me, that's kind of the standard I've tried to use. I don't know how many people would, honestly, Simon, I don't know how many people would agree with, even agree with me with what I've used as my standard of forgiveness, but I'll use that person as my example, the man who molested me. It took me a long time to get there, but forgiveness for Guy Hammond meant that whenever I thought about that individual and what he did to me, uh, I would think to myself, you know what? Uh, I am. I don't want to hang out with him. I don't want to be his best friend. I'm not. I'm not going to search him out. But uh, I do pray his soul will be saved. I, I. I. I do wish him the very best. If I ever heard that he was in trouble, like I don't know, his car broke down. He was on the side of the road. I mean, if he needed, and I was in a position to be able to help, I would. Uh, and. Um, that uh, I would, if I ever did see him again face to face, I would be respectful and kind. Then that for Guy Hammond is forgiveness. Now, there's probably a lot of theologians and uh, people with degrees and 
you know, doctrine and experts in forgiveness that would might say, you've lost your mind. You think that's forgiveness? You know, maybe. I'm just telling you for me, that's what forgiveness means. And um, so, but, but, but as far as my parents are concerned, it's certainly at a much deeper level, much more personal and emotional level with my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, for them, I, I really do unequivocally forgive. I've let it go. And um, uh, yeah. So it's, anyway, long answer to short question. Sorry. Yep. So when it comes to, is any type of hatred justified? Not not biblically, no. Biblically, okay. No. So even if even if it comes to the point where like, because many people do say, oh, I, w- I can forgive anything, but I can never forgive somebody that like molests a child or hurts some hurts a child. You know, there's always a a limit to somebody's forgiveness, and people have justified that over and over again. Like. Do you have any kind of sympathy for that? Or is it like from your perspective, it's, it just seems absurd to have, to be able to forgive somebody that has done such a horrific deed? Well, I think there's a difference between um, how we view sin versus how God views sin. Mm -hmm. So in our economy, we view sin at different levels. If you cheat on your taxes, if you tell some white lies, if you drop some F-bombs, if you cheat on your spouse, you know, everybody does that stuff. So that's one level of sin. If you rob a convenience store, you know, and you're an armed robbery, that's another kind of sin. If you molest a child, that's another kind of sin. There's different levels to d- different there's kinds of different badness. Yeah. yeah. But in God's economy, it's all the same. Now, there's no doubt that each sin carries with it different consequences, but Jesus died for all sin, and in God's economy, all sin is sin. So whether you're just the guy who cheated on your taxes or you're the guy who molested a child, in God's economy, you're both equally sinful, and you both equally need the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. You both equally need the blood of Jesus to cover you. It's not like the child molester and the guy who cheated on his taxes need different degrees of Jesus' forgiveness. They're both equally lost without the blood of Jesus. So in God's economy, it's all the same. Um, and, you know, you can't argue with Christ himself who, you know, in his dying words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, here was Jesus actually forgiving the men who were pounding nails into his hands and feet and literally murdering him. So when we use Jesus' standard of forgiveness... When we use Jesus' standard of love, which is, of course, Jesus actually commands us to love those who persecute us. Right? So, no, for the follower of Jesus, there's no place for hate. Uh, In fact, Jesus falls over himself several times in Scripture, telling us there's no place for unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my determination to forgive my parents or forgive the man who molested me was very determined because I understood what the Bible taught and I knew that uh, I myself was guilty and in God's economy, I am just as guilty as the man who molested me. I'm just as guilty as my parents. I'm just as guilty as other people who have done wicked things. So I need to get to a place of forgiveness. So no, there's no place for the follower of Jesus to hate or to not do everything they can in their power to to come to a place of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean sabotage. So again, the man who sexually molested me, again, I, I, I'm not trying to be his best friend. 
I, in fact, I, I know the general, I know the city he lives in. I know what he does for a living. I guess if I wanted to find him, I could find him. Uh, but, um, I have no intention of building a relationship or friendship with this person, but I go back to what I said earlier, but what my standard of forgiveness mm -hmm. is, those things are certainly in place. Mm -hmm. Yep. So going back to uh, the concept of forgiveness, my wife and her siblings have gone through something very similar that you've gone through. I'm not going to give too much, too much of detail, uh, but it was mm -hmm. very, someone that, should have been protecting them and it was a very trusted person so does does is forgiveness the is it the answer to moving forward is it is it that is it if you get that one concept straightened out is that enough to move forward from such a heavy trauma absolutely okay. yeah forgiveness is freedom uh forgiveness you know and i've heard people say this and i think it, there's certainly some truth to it forgiveness Forgiving somebody who's done something horrible against us is more for us than it is for them. Sure. Uh, it, it gives us the freedom to move on, move to move forward. So yeah, I think that's a totally true statement. So is it something that festered from within or is it something that you read, like you read the Bible and you're just like, oh, it made sense in my head and you just went on and did that? No, there's no doubt that my uh, my determination to follow and imitate Jesus in my understanding of scripture. There's no doubt that that was my guiding fo force, that that was my North star uh, in leading me to come to a place of forgiveness ag against people. Uh, if it had not been for the Bible, I would have been a bitter, angry, mean man and out for revenge. No doubt. Okay. Yep. So in terms of, so this is something that I personally have realized over the past past couple of years do you this is this is completely going uh, on a different tangent do you believe that the the bible is the word of god or is it the word from god i don't think i've ever heard anybody make that differentiation before the word of god or the word from god uh what is the difference between those two so what i personally believe is that the word of God, you know, is written on your heart. So it's something that you personally know for yourself. Okay. And when it's written in textual form, it is the word from God. So the word of God is given to you in your heart. And when it's written in, you know, paper form, it's the word from God. So something that I have personally been um, learning over the past couple of years is that the word of God, <clears throat> excuse me, the word of God can be given to you directly from God. And the Bible is a phenomenal tool. I believe the Bible is a roadmap to, to go within and form a personal relationship with God on you from, from the inside. And it's not like if you read the Bible and if you just memorize all the stories and try to figure out what the moral of the story is, you, you'll be, you'll be good or you'll be set. Ah, right. So, so in that light, how yeah, that you, makes sense. Yeah, how do you view how do you view the view the Bible? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. Uh, I hadn't thought of that, um, the difference of those two before. But there's no doubt. I think that a lot of people know the Bible. That doesn't mean they want to follow Jesus. I mean, Satan knows the Bible. He knows, right? So, I mean, you could use the Bible simply as a um, something to gather information. 
and it not change your heart and do anything to change anything. I mean, there's people who have got PhDs in biblical studies and yet I'm sure are horrible people. So, uh, you know, gathering information from the Bible and just reading the stories, uh, if it doesn't change your heart and change your life, it means nothing. And there's also no doubt that I think that, of course, God employs several different ways to communicate with us through other people, through circumstances that we see happen, through how life occurs, um, through our inner voice, through feelings and emotions. Some would even argue that they actually literally hear the voice of God. I've never experienced that. I I won't argue with somebody who says they have. I'm not going to argue somebody else's personal experience with the Lord. But, you know, I, I there's no doubt that uh, God uses many different ways through the power of the Holy Spirit to communicate with us, to guide us and lead us as we strive to maneuver our way through these rocky waters called life. So uh, you're right, he'll do that through the Bible, but any number of other methods as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when it comes to sin, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. So a lot of people, a lot of people use the lists of sins in the Bible to condemn one another, you know, say, Hey, you're wrong. You're wrong. Do you believe that people overcome sin when they become Christians? Or is that something that this sin follows them through their, through their life? If that, I believe, that sense? I believe people are forgiven of their sins when they become Christians, but they, but they certainly continue to struggle with areas of, of temptation and um, areas of weakness and Satan continues constantly to try to get us to sin, to leave the Lord. Uh, and, you know, I think we can over a period of time through practice, hard work, prayer, power of the Holy Spirit, whatever. I think um, the kinds of things we struggle with uh the temptations we face can lessen over a period of time in some areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I'll give you an example. So before I became a Christian, I lied constantly. I lied about everything. I was just a liar. Well, after I became a Christian, obviously that was something I repented of. Now it took a couple of years of really working hard to not lie. And even making a, I even said things to people like, Hey, listen, um, if I ever tell you a lie and I have to stop in the middle of conversation I'll, I'll fix it right away. And then I had to do that. You know, I'd be telling somebody something and then I'd recognize, guy, that wasn't true. And I'd have to stop and say, you know what? Actually, let me back up. That wasn't accurate. Let mm-hmm. me tell you the, the real information. So anyway, through it took several years, but I finally got to a place where lying is just not a big part of my life anymore. It doesn't mean I, I'm truthful 100% of the time, but it's just not something that controls me anymore. I think that's something that I've experienced a lot of victory over. Okay. So yeah. you can you can get better in certain areas, but I mean I think sin and temptation is going to dog us till the day we die. Okay, so you believe sin and temptation are the same thing? No. Okay, I think the same thing. Okay. they're not the same thing. Sin okay. is different than temptation, but they're both going to dog us until the day we die. Okay. And could you could you give me your definition of sin? Well, so I'll, I'll give use my own personal life as okay. an example. Being a homosexually attracted man, I'm I'm tempted with homosexuality. I'm te- tempted sometimes to lust after other men. I'm tempted to give into homosexual fantasy. 
I'm tempted to remember my boyfriend and different sexual escapades I participated in before I became a Christian. These are temptations to me. Or if I'm out at a store or something and I see a man that I find particularly attractive, I might be, I'm not always, but I might be tempted to want to lust after him. So uh, temptations are something we, we all face constantly in various number of forms. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know if there's ever been a single day in my life when there's been no temptation. Um, but the fact that I'm tempted to have homosexual thoughts or fantasies or to lust after a man I see at the store, the fact that I'm tempted is not sinful. In fact, scripture tells us that Jesus was tempted every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So the fact that we're tempted is is not the problem. The the attraction or the temptation is not the problem. It's the action that determines whether it becomes sinful or not. So if I go from, hey, I see a man at the store, man, do I ever think he's good looking? I'm being tempted right now to lust after him. Walk him to humanity. Even Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. But if I cross this line where now I am, I am lusting, I am giving into homosexual fantasy, that is sin and that needs to be repented of. So uh, there is a difference between temptation and sin. It's not sinful to be tempted. It's only sinful when it crosses over and you actually do the deed. And let me also say the fact that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. Was Jesus tempted with homosexual lust? I don't know, probably not. I don't think that that scripture is trying to make the point that Jesus was tempted with every single kind of temptation a human being will face in life. I don't. I think it's more of a general statement saying that Jesus was human and he was tempted with all different kinds of things. Is it possible that Jesus might have, you know, been tempted with homosexuality? Sure, it's possible. Uh, but, you know, it's also very possible he wasn't. The point, however, is to help us understand that even Jesus was tempted constantly, yet was without sin. So that gives us a great amount of hope that, you know, we don't have to give in to all these temptations, but we will. Just like I have never had a perfect day when I've never been tempted, I've never, I don't think I've ever had a perfect day when I haven't sinned. I'm sure I've sinned every day of my life somewhere. Some days are, are worse than others, but uh, yeah, the, there's certainly a difference between temptation or sin. Yep. So <clears throat> thanks, thanks for explaining that. So in terms of sin, you believe sin is of the, so from what I'm, what I heard you say that sin is of the action. It's not of, it's not what you feel, but it's what you do. So in that light, what I believe sin is, okay, I'll give you my definition of what I believe uh, sin is. And, you know, when it comes to biblical explanations as well, when Jesus went through the desert, and he was tempted with three different scenarios. You know, first one, he was tempted with bread. The second one, he was tempted. Um, I think it was, third one was to bow down to him. The second one, I forget what the second one was. Yep, so when it, when it comes to uh, playing God, that's what I believe sin is, right? So when you play a God, when you judge, when you show unforgiveness when you're when you act like you you run the world that is that is sin because that's when you play god and that sin came because we were ignorant 
That's that's what I believe. So sin is sin is basic ignorance. So that's when when we become Christians. What changes in our heart is not the actions, right? It's the heart that changes. Because we continue to do the same things that we do when we were in our fallen state. So I believe that anybody that does become a Christian and has a repentant mindset, <clears throat> he gives up the he gives up the mindset of I'm God, I am God of my life, you know, I am my own provider, I am I'm the one that um, I worship myself. You know, there's nobody better than me. So when it comes to th those three things, it that's what I believe is to be sin, is when you completely denounce your relationship with Jesus being your provider, him being your savior. Um, oh, I think the second one was he asked him to jump off, do not test the Lord your God. Uh, he asked him to jump off from the highest tower and have the angels pick him up. So that was that was one of the other temptations. So it was basically, um, don't be don't be your own provider, um, don't test the Lord your God, and do not worship anything outside of outside of me. So when when we become Christians, at least personally, when I became a Christian, those were the three things that I solidified in my life. Those are the three things that I repented from, and the acts right. Uh, and, you know, how they have a bunch of lists in the Bible that says, you know, um, anybody that has drunkenness, lewdness, envy, blah, 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 all those lists. Those lists are acts of the flesh, right? So those, those acts of the flesh still continue to reign in your life, even though you become a Christian. But sin is not is what sin is not. You're, you're not bound by sin anymore. Those are the chains that Jesus has broken for you when you become a Christian. But those, those tendencies, those behaviors, those habits, those still remain in your flesh. And I believe you can't stop yourself from doing all those things. Is when you get closer to the spirit and you get closer to, the, to God, the acts of the flesh will slowly decrease. They will slowly be removed from your life. So, but when people say that the acts of the flesh are sin, then they it puts people in a in a cycle because now they're like oh i'm still a sinner you know oh i still sin oh how, how am i even close to god when i'm just doing all those things so people start judging themselves which goes back to um playing god right so what i've realized is that like the acts of the flesh that are in my life those have drastically decreased when all my focus was on getting closer to god the acts of the flesh was some, I slowly started losing appetite for that. When I stopped judging that as sin, then I, I, my appetite for wanting to do the acts of the flesh just slowly, drastically decreased. But ever, that's the, the only reason that happened is because I start, stopped calling those sin. And based on that, I stopped judging myself. When I stopped judging myself, my my acts of the flesh, like I, like I mentioned before, that has that has drastically decreased. Is that something that you can res you resonate with, or is that is that completely false theology in your eyes? No, um, I would say that uh, I understand your reasoning, uh, and I'm glad that that strategy you're using has really been successful for you. That you've uh, felt a decrease in your desire to do those things. I mean, that's fantastic. I think uh, there's really something to be said for how you have 
really worked hard to draw closer to the spirit and in doing so and not being judgmental of yourself uh, i think has proved helpful i think there's a lot of wisdom there i think one of the biggest challenges we face as christians especially if we're coming from um, more traditional churches is that we can spend so much of our time beating ourselves up and feeling bad about our areas of struggle and weakness and i don't think that that's what jesus wants i think uh, we've got, we have to be a lot kinder to ourselves, uh, that Jesus is so merciful and so forgiving and already knew that we were going to sin. That's why he sent Jesus. It's not, it's not a, uh, it's not news to God that we're sinful people. He knew we were going to sin. That's why we, we needed the blood of Jesus to cover us. I think a lot of times churches have really worked hard at, you know, just making people feel guilty all the time and I've certainly been guilty of that in my own life at times. So if you have found a way to be able to draw closer to God, closer to the Holy Spirit, and not, uh, you know, beat yourself up constantly because, uh, you know, you're a part of this broken human condition, then, you know, congratulations. I think that's a huge step forward and something that I think a lot of Christians could benefit from. Um, there's no doubt that I think uh, there are actions that we will commit that are sinful. So for instance, if I went out and cheated on my wife, I mean, there's no doubt that that is sinful. If I told you a lie right now, there's no doubt that that is sinful. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark of what God intended for us. So if I was to cheat on my wife or tell you a lie right now, God would be like, guy, I love you, but that's not how I want you to live. Uh, so you're missing the mark of what I intended for you right now by telling Simon a lie. So it's not right for, for you to tell Simon a lie. Please don't do that. Uh, so in that sense, it's sinful. But you know what? Praise God for his forgiveness and his grace. Praise God for the blood of Jesus that covers me. I'm completely forgiven of that. And I need to accept that grace, be kind and gentle to myself, and celebrate this freedom I have in Christ to be forgiven and not spend all the rest of the day feeling bad about the fact that I told Simon a lie, um, which I don't think I've done yet today in this call, by the way. I've been completely honest with you. But I think, um, yeah, I think, I think, Simon, we need to live our lives very carefully. I think we need to live our lives with boundaries and restraint. I think we need to take our Christianity very seriously. I think the stakes are incredibly high. I think Satan plays for keeps. I think there's a spiritual battle that is going on. Uh, I feel that tension constantly, and I'm doing everything I can to stay close to God, be in communication with his spirit, uh, to be a lover of the word so that God can communicate to me through the Bible, but also be able, as you said, to be able to hear God's voice in other areas of my life as well. And... You know, I'm not trying to live my life perfectly. I recognize that that's just not possible. So you don't believe uh, that you can live your life perfectly? Not at all. No, I can't even get through the today without living my life perfectly. No, it's not. No, I don't think I can live my life perfectly. I don't even think God expects that. But doesn't, uh, doesn't he say, be perfect, like my father in heaven is perfect? That's like a constant reminder. Yeah, that's a good goal. Good luck with that. I mean, <laughs> let's keep working towards that, right? Like, yeah. yeah, let's try to be perfect like God's perfect. I'll be trying that until the day I die. Uh, no, I'm not going to live a perfect life. I'm, I'm going to sin constantly. That's why I need the, the, the grace of, of, of Jesus to forgive me. What I want to do 
continue to do is to improve on what you seem to be doing so well at, which is to not be judgmental of yourself, mm-hmm. to accept the fact that you're not a, that you're not doing this perfectly, and that you seem to have reached a place where you're so able to really be in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit and in God's grace. And I think so many Christians uh, hurt their hurt themselves by living in a state of just constantly feeling guilty about the fact that they're sinful and beating themselves up all the time. I think that really, uh, you know, does not make for a very happy life. I don't think it's certainly the life that Jesus had in mind when he tells us in John 10, 10, that he came to give us life to the full. Is life to the full, living in a constant state of beating yourself up, feeling like a failure and a loser and uh, constantly judging yourself? I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus had in mind. What Jesus wants us to do is to celebrate the freedom we have in him by the forgiveness that we receive of of all the sins that we do commit. And uh, so I'm trying to do the best I can, but you know what? Holy smokes. I am not perfect by any means, but I do want to accept the grace and and, uh, really celebrate that. Okay. So from what you said, that sin is... uh is missing the mark, right? That's a great definition of, of sin. But but another definition that people use is being separated from God. Like sin is some sin is what separates us from God. And uh, that's what I consider as ignorance, right? We don't even know who our master is. Mm-hmm. But from from what I've uh, the knowledge that I've obtained is that like when I've come to understand the truth through Christ is that ignorance of where I've come from also has dissipated as well. So what is binding me to this world, to this earthly world is sin. That's what's binding me to this world. But when that has, when that mindset has just been taken and destroyed away, then my mindset is always going to be heavenly. Right. Mm -hmm. And when the sin, the chains of sin to this earth has been destroyed, then the acts that people do, like you talked about, you know, how people judge themselves so much mm-hmm. that I believe Christians have used that as, or I think that I believe it's the devil. The devil is constantly deceiving people to think that the acts of what you're doing, that, you know, the habits that you obtained through the fallen state is separating you from God. Mm. I, I don't think that separates you from God at all, because if you are born again, then there is no way, like in the scripture says, there's no high or deep or wide. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that, um, I, I do agree with you. I, I do think our sin separates us from God before conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why conversion is so necessary. But once you've given your life to Christ and, and you've come into contact with the blood of Jesus, there is no more separation from God. Uh, unless no you renounce. Sin? What's that? So there is no more sin? Is that? No, there is sin. We sin. But, but we're forgiven. I mean, that's, I think that's, that, I mean, that's the whole point of forgiveness okay. uh, is the blood of Jesus covers us. We are constantly forgiven. Followers of Jesus, Christians live in a constant state in, in God's economy, again, in a perfect state of forgiveness. Okay. Uh, we are constantly forgiven. I, when I became a Christian, my past sins were forgiven. My future sins were forgiven. My current sins are forgiven. I'm going to sin, but I'm constantly in a state of God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And so, uh, you know, I'm, 
so yeah, you're, I think you're right. Once you do become a Christian, there's no separation from God. We're in a constant state of being in relationship with God. Mm-hmm. You and I are constantly striving to, to honor God with our lives, which means mm-hmm. we're, we're going to try to find ways to do better and to improve. Sure. Uh, again, I use my lying analogy as mm-hmm. an example. I, but uh, I'm, I am constantly forgiven. So I do not think it's, it's uh, scripturally correct to suggest that a, a faithful follower of Jesus is separated from God every time they sin. That would be ridiculous. Okay. That makes, that makes more sense. Um, the question I wanted to ask you earlier um, in terms of, like, we were all born in a, into a fallen state, correct? Would you agree with that? Uh-huh. Yep. So in that light, any act that we start doing, right, for example, for you, it was homosexuality. For me, it was whatever, lust or um, porn or whatever, sleeping, uh, you know, having sex out of wedlock. All those things, they're all on the same, they're on the same uh, page. They're on the same wavelength, right? Not, not one is not worse than the other. Like we talked about, all sin is equal. Um, the consequences of these sins are all different. Different, different. The consequences are different mm-hmm. uh, for us and others. The consequences are different. Correct. But you're right. Uh, we're all e- they're all equal in the sense that they all go against what God initially intended, mm-hmm. and uh, we need forgiveness for them. Okay. So this is this is something that I've been. You know, that, that I'm curious about and I also wanted to ask, do you believe that, or do you think it's possible that there was an imprint left by somebody that caused you to be, uh, to be a homosexual in terms of, this is a question that I've asked um, a couple of my friends who are, who are gay as well. Did, did your, did, because they've always had bad relationships with their mothers. Like, I, um, did you take the image of your mother? No. Um, You know, so now we're talking about causation and, you know, there's no doubt that there are, you know, a hundred years of, of, of study has shown us that there can often be common denominators as to why somebody becomes homosexually attracted. Mm -hmm. But this is too complex of a thing to suggest that everybody is going to fit those stereotypical common denominators mm-hmm. so the idea that uh everybody who was sexually molested is in their youth had a overbearing mother distant father uh you know the list goes on and on somebody who is really effeminate and emotional and you know loved art that person is automatically going to be homosexually attracted that that's not the case it is true that those are common denominators for many people who are homosexually attracted but again this is too complex of a thing to suggest that everybody who experienced those things are homosexually attracted, that wouldn't be the case. Certainly, I do fit the common denominators. My own story is one of being sexually molested in my youth. My mother was very overbearing. My father was very distant. You know, uh, so, you know, how much of it is nature? How much of it is nurture? I don't know. I kind of like the term that says that uh, nature loaded the gun and nurture pulled the trigger. I think, you know... uh, Oh, and let me also add in there, I made some horrible choices in my youth, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, that helped solidify and cement who I've become. So I don't want to just blame everybody else. It's my fault too. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, how much of it is nature? How much of it is nurture? I'm not, I'm not really sure. But I, I do fit some of those stereotypical common denominators that we're discussing. Correct. So even though even though we talked about like all all you know acts of the flesh or all sin is on the same place, why why does homosexuality have to? Why does homosexuality as a as a sin? kind of bind with the person in itself because we don't go around calling somebody a, a lust person or somebody that lusts or somebody that's you know has sex out of wedlock it's but it seems like homosexuality has like identified with the soul in itself hmm. um that i from what i believe that we all are in a fallen state right and when we are in a fallen state we pick up things in that fallen state that make that you know to make us make us to fill the void of whatever is in there we just pick up things on the way so i believe nobody is a homosexual or nobody is a uh, you know a cheater or nobody is a liar or nobody is there is no category of person it's just what you pick up on the way Ah. because we're all on the fallen state there's no difference between you and me it's Mm -hmm. you picked up some you picked up something on the way and i picked up something on the way Mm -hmm. But do you believe that people are associating homosexuality with a like with an innate nature of a person? Like it's 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 almost like they're born with it, or it's almost like it. There's no outside life of being a homosexual. There's you know. Yeah, I mean, certainly culture and society today has truly tried to push that agenda. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I I'm open to the fact that homosexuality is, uh, has a genetically based trait. Science is yet to prove that definitively, by the way. There's no scientific study that has proven proven definitively that homosexuality is something that someone is born with. Mm-hmm. I'm open to the idea. Uh, it just hasn't been proven yet. Um, so there's no doubt that I have felt my homosexual attractions very deeply and very strongly. It really is. a. It's kind of like my skin color. I can't change my skin color. I can't change what I'm attracted to. Um, but I don't think it's sinful to be homosexually attracted. So I'm not even worried about it. Like, it's not like I'm trying to become heterosexually attracted. Mm-hmm. I don't care that I'm homosexually attracted. I, I, I'm homosexually attracted. So what? The attraction is not the sin. It's what you do with the attraction that determines whether something is sinful or not. So I don't care that I'm homosexually attracted. That's mm-hmm. why I said earlier, I'm not into conversion therapy. I don't think people need to change what they're attracted to. If we're going to follow Jesus, you, you can, it's what your attractions, your actions are what matters. Um, but I can certainly understand why people feel like they were born this way because, you know, it does feel so normal for sure. Uh, and I've certainly felt that. It, it, there's no doubt. When people say, yeah, I was born this way. I mean, I know scientifically that's not been proven yet, but I get why they would say that. It certainly feels that way for sure. Yeah, but we're not to blame necessarily for the the acts of the flesh that we picked up, right? We just have to understand that, hey, mm. this is just wrong, you know, but there's a different sure. way. Um, so in that light, like, wh- why, do you, why do you feel like people blame themselves for being homosexual? It's not like it's abnormal from any other vice or any other acts of the flesh it, why do people identify with it so much because do you, do you believe it's just because it's an attraction thing is that why it's a, they identify with that so much yeah i mean a, a, attractions are very automatic and involuntary and they're also very deeply felt so i you know this is a lot more than 
then uh, the attraction is a lot more than something that you do. It's something that you are. So I think, you know, it is felt so deeply because it is so deeply ingrained. Um, I think one of the reasons why people have beaten themselves up so much or felt so bad about the fact that they're homosexually attracted, especially in their youth, has a lot to do with how churches have dealt with the situation, which I think uh, many churches and many Christians have dealt with this issue in a terrible way, and they've been horrible ambassadors for Jesus on this issue. You can't paint all the Christians with the same broad brush, but there's no doubt that many Christians and churches have said and done things in the name of Jesus against gay and lesbian people that Jesus would never say or do. So I think the last, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred years, I'm sure, certainly in the last hundred years, churches have um, uh, responded to this in a manner that makes people think that homosexuality is the worst of all sins. Yet there's nowhere in the Bible that sing singles out homosexuality as being a worse sin than any, anything else or being homosexually attracted. We've led people to believe wrongly that being homosexually, homosexually attracted is sinful and I just don't think it is. So I think a lot of how people are dealing with it is based a lot on how churches have dealt with this over the years. Okay. Um, I just want to tie into what you just said with something that you said earlier. You talked about choosing, right? You talked a lot about choosing. Um, so you believe that free will binds into someone being homosexual. Uh, does that does that correlate in any form or way? I don't think free will um, uh, makes anybody homosexual. I, I think everyone's got the free, everyone, I think God respects everyone's free will to live however they want. And there are people who are homosexually attracted who will uh, celebrate and embrace homosexuality. And there are other people who are homosexually attracted like me who will say, that's not compatible with my faith. And so I'm not going to live that way. Mm -hmm. We're both equally right to, out of uh, our ability to have free will to choose either side. Okay. And has, has anybody had any kind of counter arguments to, to free will, free will in general? Like, have you ever uh, encountered somebody with an alternative point of view about free will? Or has your opinion about free will kind of just been similar? Yeah, I think, I think people love the idea that there's free will. I mean, I think there is. I, I don't see anywhere in the scripture where God, you know, commands people uh, that they must do this. Like, God doesn't make us robots, he gives us the ability to choose. I mean, we're not animals. Uh, we have the ability to choose, to decide based on morality. And a lot of people choose to follow uh, this ethic where there is morality and people choose not to. That's completely their choice. Now, there are consequences for either side of that. And we're not free to choose our consequences, but we are free to choose how we're going to live. So, you know, I think God respects that. And I think we as Christians need to respect it as well that many people are going to decide not to follow jesus that's their right to do so if they want to yeah correct uh this is i mean this is something that i've also been uh battling as well but i definitely have come to a conclusion about free will this is just my take on it right mm -hmm. i believe free will does not exist because we are we are in two different we are when we're born we're born on we're born in a fallen state we're born um into sin so we're born into a camp that always consistently has influence over us so when we have consistent influence by the enemy by the devil by evil then we you know we have the tendency to follow through with what influence we consistently have 
but when we are influenced by good, right? When we were influenced by Christ, and when we hear, right? Because Christ says, like, he who has ears, let them hear. But it also translates into listen, which means actually hear and actually act on it. So when we, you and I have heard the truth, there's something that has influenced us so much to the point where we made action out of it, right? I personally believe that when we hear the truth and when we, when we you know, listen to the truth, we have no choice but to act on it, right? But only a few people will hear because they have ears. It's, I personally don't believe that people make a choice to say, hey, I don't want to be a Christian or I don't want to be this. But when they say that, they don't, they don't say, I just want to be myself. They are, they are influenced by an external force. So when they say, I don't want Christ, they are in so much, they're influenced so much by evil that that's the influence that they want to feel comfortable with. I don't believe that there's a personal choice that people are making. Hey, I don't want this. So I'm just going to be in the middle, right? It's either you're influenced by good or you're influenced by evil. So in that light, when people say I have a choice, I can choose God or I can choose Jesus. Or, I can choose devil. Or, I can choose that. It just makes, I think in my, from my perspective, that is also a deception that you're in control of your life, which I personally don't believe that we are like, either we're controlled by Satan or we're completely controlled by God. And this is something that I've, I've talked to a lot of different people. Some people agree. Some people totally just say, hey, this is bollocks. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, no, no, you know, it doesn't make sense to me, but does that, does that make sense at all? Uh, I don't agree with you, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I don't, I don't believe that, but, I mean, if that was the case, then I wouldn't have been able to repent for my life. I mean, I was co completely controlled by evil. Correct. Having anonymous sexual encounters with men in parked cars and public bathrooms. And mm -hmm. as I said, by the time I was 24, I'd had gay sex hundreds of times with different men. You mm -hmm. want to meet somebody who was out of control, who was living like an animal, who uh, did not understand boundaries or restraint at any level, who did everything he could uh, to satisfy and fulfill himself. Uh, no matter how evil it was, that's how I was living my life. Then I heard about the cross and Jesus and made the decision based on my new information, so impressed by the cross that I decided I was not going to live that way. I was going to repent. So I clearly chose a different path. I had the freedom to be able to do so. So it, you don't believe that the truth actually changed your heart? It was It was just an impression of the truth that made you choose it? Oh, I think it was a combination of both. Yeah, I mean, I heard about Jesus. I was so impressed by what Jesus did for me. Uh, so moved by the cross. So moved by the idea that I could have my sins forgiven for eternity. And and there was the promise of heaven. Uh, and also reasoned that I had lived my own life the way I wanted for so many years. And I was still left wanting, feeling empty, and feeling like my life had turned into a train wreck. I knew that living my life Guy Hammond's way was not working anymore. And so, um, yeah, my heart was moved. Everything was moved. I, but I absolutely came to a point of decision. Like if you saw the movie Finding Guy, then you saw the scene when I got on the bus to go live as, my life as a gay man mm -hmm. and determined that I was never going to church again. But on that 20-minute bus ride, as I was going back to my apartment, the one thought that I couldn't get out of my mind was that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I thought I could turn my back on a lot of people, but how on earth can I live the rest of my life knowing that I turned my back on a man who died for me? So by 20 minutes later, by the time the bus had reached my apartment, I said, that's it. 
I cannot turn my back on a man who died for me. If that story is real, I have to follow Jesus. So I choose Jesus over homosexuality. That happened in 20 minutes. So I clearly went from a point of, I'm going to be gay and live my gay life, do whatever I want, to 20 minutes later saying, you know what? That was wrong. I choose different. Yep. I I definitely see. I definitely heard that uh, perspective before. And I I completely respect that perspective as well. Um, And I think that perspective has helped people understand that, hey, my life, like I made the decision for my life. And I chose to be a Christian. I chose to, to do it the right way. And I, I can, res- I totally respect people that that have that perspective as well. Um, I, I just believe in, from from what I've experienced, it's, it's like we're all we're constantly obeying one thing or the other. You know, we're not in a we're not in a state of disobedience to one or the other, right? But when when we are in a fallen state, we're in constant obedience to to sin, to, to evil. And when the influence of Christ comes into our life, because we have some form of God within us, it finds this truth attractive, right? Because if there was nothing, if there was nothing of God within us, then there would be, there would be no reason for the truth to resonate with us. Right. We all, it, I believe the truth in itself is just a recollection of the memory that we have lost within Right. Mm-hmm. So when the truth, when we hear the truth, it almost reminds us like, oh man, this is, this was my, this is my creator. This is my father. This is who, whom I love. Um, and it is an automatic return to the father. Right. It's like the, 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 um, the, the son, the prodigal son, you know, how he goes away, does his own thing, but he remembers, right. That, oh, my father has all these, you know, all this for me, I can just go back. And I believe that's that's pretty much what it is. It's just a recollection of a memory that that we are from the Heavenly Father. So we just have to return to him rather than like, oh, I choose to go back, you know. And but that's just my perspective. So but I can totally respect yours. Um, and I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and talking about your life and talking about uh, your upbringing and just openly discussing your your, your trauma, your troubles. and I am so happy of, and with the organization that you've started. I feel like everybody, you know, everybody should be able to um, access your programs and in, uh, in, in your organization. So just for our listeners, could you just give out your information about your organization? Yeah, it's called Strength in, I-N, strengthinweakness.org. And uh, you can find all my information there. And if you want to watch the movie Finding Guy, you can just find it on YouTube. Perfect. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you, sir. And I would hope to have you uh, sometime next year as well. well thank awesome. You. Thank you for coming on the show. Great. Thanks, Simon. Appreciate uh, it. All right. You have a nice day, sir. All right, buddy. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Stay Loyal podcast. You can find the link to our YouTube channel, Spotify, and Apple Music in the description below. Thank you.